0: First time I can say live from Studio A in Las Vegas. I'm Pedro Joe Greer. I am the Dean at the Roseman University College of Medicine and welcome to Cuba Pete No Laughing Matter. Generally, what we have are guests to see the intersection between what happens in society and how that affects health and how that should affect the education of our future workforce. Today, we have those that are actually going to be putting this whole thing together and running it. This is an incredibly talented group. An incredibly diverse group—not just in gender and ethnicity, but also in their terminal degrees and what they do and what they have done. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a wonderful group to be considered part of. So, we came out here to Vegas to start a medical school, to change the way medical education is, to improve the disparities that occur in our communities, which has been so exploited and seen through COVID, to diversify our own profession, to develop new systems, not just new systems of delivery of care, but how we teach and how we prepare the future workforce. Our, our profession has, and is now acknowledging it, had a problem with diversity to say the very least. I mean, to put it bluntly, if you look at it systemically, we are racist, sexist, xenophobic, elitist, We've lost many of the attributes and virtues that we need in our profession. Maybe they were never there as well as they should be, but we're gonna go for it like humility and uh, empathy, compassion, social accountability. And as we introduce what we're doing here, you're going to see how we're fitting all that into education and how we wanna make it so that Vegas, what happens here, the world comes to see because it's the right way to do it. I'd like to start, first of all, I wanna just introduce everybody here. I have Dr. Luther Brewster back there. I have Dr. Maren Gillis, Dr. Cheryl Brewster, Dr. Karen uh, Esposito, and uh, Christina Conley. This is the senior executive team that we have. They are all gonna have different roles in what we do in forming this and putting this together. So I'm gonna start off with, how are we gonna diversify our medical school? Well, first of all, you have to start off with diverse leadership, which I think we have. But then we have to have diverse student bodies. And that is being led by Dr. Cheryl Brewster. Let me just tell you a little bit about her because she is so impressive. At our prior institution, she not only won the Presidential Award on diversity, she had over a $2 million grant to bring in students from historically black universities and colleges to be able to go into medical school or health professions. That was one of the most successful programs. She has her doctorate in education from Teachers College at Columbia, New York. She has her master's from Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, her bachelor's from the University of Maryland. She was a Kellogg scholar, a postdoc at the University of Michigan uh, School of Public Health with a fellowship in community-based participatory research. And then she spent a year in London at the University of East London where she did coursework on gender, sexuality, ethnic studies, and examining the interface and intersection of social divisions. She has had leadership positions nationally and internationally. She was with the AAMC Group on Diversity and Inclusion. And it is with great pride. Oh, besides that, she's got a son that grows an inch every seven hours. He is now.
1: <laughs> make him seven feet 11. <laughs> That's right. By the right. time we
0: finish. <laughs> well, uh, the next Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There we go. <laughs> With that, I have the pleasure of introducing our Senior Executive Dean for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. That's you. That
1: would be me. Served.
0: That what But your title is only part of what you do.
1: It's only part of what because I do. Because the other
0: thing that you do that is so fascinating is your pathway program. A rose exactly. grows in the desert. So
1: that's just one of them, right? Oh, so we have Aspire, all. which is a tiered pathway program. So there, there we have to hit the problem, address the problem at multiple levels from multiple directions. And we need to address the shortage of diverse physicians or just healthcare providers in general by starting at an earlier age. And so the tiered approach is working with K through 12. And so you're actually creating programming that is age appropriate by introducing them. In and many, in many cases, just the idea of a career in in health and then as you get into the undergraduate level you're talking about students that have an idea or think they have an idea but don't understand all the ins and outs of what it takes to actually be a physician or a healthcare provider in general and so you have to spend more very uh specific time around specific things that they need to do to prepare for their journey into medical school and so we have to break that up and so we start K through five so fifth grade then we have six through 12 and then we hit from undergrads all the way up through I mean we, I have master's students that I've worked with that are trying to get into medical school so every level has a different approach but we do have one that is just very broad in general and that is a rose grows in the desert this is an opportunity it's sort of a teaser it's a showcase of community partners. It's a showcase of a community in general, of all the resources that are available many times in communities that people think are underserved and under-resourced. And data shows that it is underserved and under-resourced, but people don't even know what resources are actually available in their community. So A Rose Grows in the Desert brings together community partners in specific areas in and around Las Vegas. And these community partners are healthcare workers, some of them are at organizations that provide science, technology, engineering, math opportunities for young people. So we bring everybody together for a few hours on a Saturday every quarter. Our next one is November 13th and we're gonna be in the historic West side. And so we have pretty much about 15 to 16 partners that are gonna do live demonstrations and the young people are gonna you know, engage in these activities throughout the course of the two hours that they're there. And so, one of the things that we've learned is that mental health is uh, something that needs to be addressed with this population. So we've actually incorporated some some activities around mental health and wellness. So we have someone that is going to work with the students around music therapy. We have someone that's going to do Reiki. We have someone that is going to do uh, yoga-informed, trauma-informed yoga with the students. And so. We're trying to work with students where they are. So we understand that they have needs that might not be addressed. And if those needs don't get addressed, we can't even expect them to to earn the A's or B's that they need to in school in order to be successful to move through you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, and subsequently college to get into med school. So addressing these mental health needs that they might have, is one area of how we work with young people. And then providing them with the the STEAM activities is another part of the activities that we do with them. So it's a a dual approach, addressing the psychosocial issues that these students often have, as well as the academic issues or addressing academic deficiencies that they might have. And then also just creating awareness and curiosity around STEAM fields.
0: And Cheryl, when we go into these communities, we're actually looking and targeting first generation college kids, which also brings in another issue that you also address is that of the parents.
1: Right. And so we do at each of the events have a parent's corner where we are set up with different resources that parents can actually access and have conversations with people from the different organizations that do provide these resources. Um, and we've had feedback, You know, we've had a parent reach out and say, oh, you had a resource at your last event, can I get the information for that resource? And it was around um, mental health. So we do definitely provide resources to the parents, the young people, we, we understand that a lot of times there's a lot of pressure on first-generation students um, and parents sometimes, because they haven't gone through that journey, aren't aware of everything that it takes to go on that journey. And we have to inform and we have to educate and let them know what this journey is going to be for them as well as the young person actually on that journey. So educating both parties is vital for us to be successful in getting students into medical school. And the other part of that is also making sure that our faculty is diverse. Students want to come in and they want to see people that look mm-hmm. like them or have similarities to them. And so in it all kind of ties in. You can't uh, you can't attract a diverse student body if your faculty isn't equally as diverse or they feel like they don't have a sense of belonging. So we want to make sure that we're creating that environment that learning and working environment for faculty staff and students that is one that everyone feels a sense of community or a sense of belonging. So it's Kind of an all encompassing job that I have.
0: And not only I'm that, a very
1: powerful job. <laughs>
0: no, that I know. Cheers. That I know. I'm not, I'm not arguing that point at all. The, uh, may I ask another question? Yes. Just take it. The, uh, Is that at our prior institution, we had 50 to 55 percent of our student bodies were underrepresented minorities. The statistics around the United States. These are American medical colleges are 5% of American medical students are African American, 57 or 5.8% are Hispanic. A much smaller percentage of those are even in leadership roles in academic medicine or in other aspects of medicine. For example, 10 to 12% of leadership roles in medicine are women. Almost half of the profession are women. So it's not just a matter of diversifying, but the inclusion and the equity to allow people to not just feel part of it, but also ascend in their respective organizations. And if you look at the editors of major journals in this country, there's only one African-American, no Hispanic, who is a major uh, editor. As you go down the line, associate assistant editors, you will have a little bit more diversity. Uh, But one of the other reasons that we do this and we want to target is is twofold. Number one, empiric evidence from our prior institution told us that those that were first-generation college tend to come home. They go to the best places to train. They go to UCLA, USC. They were out at uh, University of Texas the, uh, in Houston in cardiology. They have been at John Hopkins. But you know what? That first generation college student will be the very first one in their family to have the ability to earn wealth. Which means they can own a home, they can pay for their kids' education, and that continues. I'm. My own family, my father's the first one in our family to finish high school, much less go to college and become a doctor. And he was able to see his granddaughter graduate from Harvard Law School. Of course she went into public interest law so I can still support her, but she does really good stuff. So what we're trying to say is let's not throw away this talent that this country has. Let's make sure they have all the infrastructure and support they need, as Cheryl is talking about, to be able to be successful in their professional careers. And coming from these communities, they understand exactly what happens. We as physicians need to have social accountability. Mental health, an issue that Cheryl brought up, is a major problem in this country regardless of socioeconomics. However, we don't address it properly. We don't have the infrastructure for it. Substance abuse, we're not doing that too well either, nor are we included in a lot of curriculums in medicine except for add-ons. When you have all these problems that exist out there in a country with these disparities and people not being able to get to a a physician, COVID. Telemedicine was originally conceptualized for rural or poor communities. Well, when COVID hit, those were the two that didn't get telemedicine and they didn't get telemedicine because they didn't have a provider to be able to talk to them, to answer questions. So they're left out of telemedicine, which telemedicine is also showing some effectiveness in the mental health area. So it's important that we address these things. And how do we address these things? Well, that comes Dr. Luther Brewster. Lou and I have known each other since he had hair and mine was black. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or he's black and your hair's white? I my, don't know. No, no, no. No, my hair was black. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> it was, I swear to God. I, I believe. I'll show you, you We've seen I pictures. Believe I believe.
1: I've seen you. <laughs> you were like 20.
0: <laughs> ah! Yeah, I, I started graying at 22. The uh, Lou <laughs> came to us actually from uh, being a founding faculty at the Florida International University School of Public Health, where before that he was at the University of Michigan. He uh, did his postdocs at Queen Mary University in London in urban renewal health impact assessment. He has his PhD from the University of Georgia, who, by the way, are ranked number one now in the football poles and that's
2: right, that's right. i Very played true. with the gators <laughs> Just recently beat university of florida yes we did <laughs> 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 you yeah, haven't played us yet
0: <laughs> wait it's a big game where he got his phd in health promotion and behavior he has a master's in nutrition from georgia state university and a bachelor's in biology he was pre-med at morehouse and uh decided maybe he's got a better approach to make our society healthier He has been named by Legacy Magazine top black educator and health professional. He's a German Marshall uh, Fund Fellow from 2010. He's a fellow, he did a a faculty fellowship in policy analysis uh, in the summer at the Rand Corporation, the largest and most prestigious think tank in this country, as well as having been a lecturer there and invited back to to teach the students there in policy analysis, and he's a top scholar named at FIU. He—that's uh enough. No, 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 no. There's we one. Get it, right? we get it. He, he, he's worked in the private <laughs> sector in Harlem, and in London with the Arsenal Football Club, Immigra- uh, Emirates Stadium housing regeneration project. Boy, but can the Brits make a long
2: title? Yes. That's, yeah. that's, 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 Part of the degree, it comes with the degree. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: Lou is also the architect of what we refer to as household-centered care. Household-centered care is being able to take care of the household in its entirety at their home by identifying and mitigating the social determinants of health, which are eighty to ninety percent, depending on what literature you read, as a cause of disease and exacerbations of disease. It also allows families that might not have insurance or undocumented that are working two and three jobs that if they take one day off to go see a doctor guess what that's 20 percent less they make plus whatever they're charged and if they don't have daycare they got to schlep the kids along with them and they got to pay for all that transportation too it's a cascade of problems the poorer you are in this country the more complex your life becomes and it becomes essential that we work with communities we become dependent on communities not going into communities and thinking that we're the uh, the knight in white shining armor that's going to save them we're there to work with communities to learn from them and to make them better and Lou here in uh, Las Vegas and we're about to launch has a uh, household-centered care model entitled Genesis and Lou why do you think this is important? A, developing systems like this for society, but B most importantly as an educator to immerse students in this.
2: Um, I guess I would go back to the statement you made about we're throwing away talent. Uh, one of the reasons there's more than one way that we are throwing away talent. Uh, yes, we're not allowing them access and we're not including including them. But also, once we do include them, we put them in structures that beat the idealism out of them. And so, you know, most of us go into a particular field um, with a, a ideal in mind of what it is that we hope to accomplish. You know, uh, many physicians, um, when they're younger, want to, you know, cure the sick and, and, and do, be good stewards uh, to society from that standpoint. And then the system, you know, um, uh, whether it be my field, public health, Uh, By the time you're in it for several years, you become disenchanted by what you really can do because the system has become so driven by uh, success over solutions. And so, yeah, you may successfully implement your vaccine protocol, but no one is getting better. (laughs) Um, um, Or you are uh, able to um, enroll people in a particular insurance plan, but no one's going to see the doctor. It's it's success over solutions, and so uh, what we hope to do with with programs like Genesis is to, uh, one, inspire um, the students and the faculty who are working within it that there's a vehicle, there's a way for them to actually have a meaningful impact in communities, that they really can um, regain the trust of communities and do some of the ambitious things that they wanted to do when they first uh, decided that that was their chosen profession. And, and and let's just go to trust for
0: a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without the trust of the community, we get into problems like vaccine hesitancy,
2: mm-hmm.
0: misinformation, and having people come down and talk down to you, which has been one of the problems. Of-
2: yeah, well, so, so built into the title of, of the work I'm charged to do is innovation. And uh, innovation, uh, its most important precursor is trust. Rarely will a person adopt a new innovation if they don't trust those who are implementing it. And so you're only as in- innovative as you can create trust. And so uh, we're at a time right now where we are desperate for innovation uh, in, in all areas, beyond just healthcare and medicine. And we are limited, sadly, because we have so little trust. Uh, and, and that trust has been eroded by so many different things. We could probably spend all day talking just about that. Mm. Um, but we, we, we uh, as the collective, have chosen to focus more on how do we restore it as opposed to what ha- how it actually was eroded. And so one of those solutions, obviously, is building a, a radically different medical school, um, one that is rooted in the community, one that will be uh, charged by its values um, and, and, and uh, hold each other accountable to those values uh, at all levels of our leadership. And so... Um, And from the standpoint of what we plan to do in the community, the the overall overarching goal is to, yes, have Genesis and perform home visits in uh, medically underserved communities and provide uh, them with dual medical and social service support, Uh, coordinate that service with our Roseman Medical Group, our permanent care practice, Um, but also then train students in that model Mm-hmm. Um, not just medical students, but nursing students, pharmacy students, dental students, uh, which is the calling card and the strength of, of Roseman University. And then um, hopefully uh, translate new information, new knowledge on um, how those different fields collide and provide effective uh, healthcare outcomes and health outcomes. And so uh, blending all of those things together, seeing to it that we are. Um, having a representative uh, um, voice in everything that we do um, so so not just simply going um, and doing this work on or on uh, um, d- downward on a community but actually including the community in the work that we're doing not only from the standpoint of the traditional doing research with the community but including them in things like procurement where we buy where we shop all these things are very important in building trust because it's very difficult to get an individual to do something for you when you've never done anything for them without an expectation of anything in return. And so that's where we will be different. And I think that's, that's the beauty and, the, and kind of the joy of doing this work.
0: You, you said a couple of things. One I want to touch on was, you mentioned the word vehicle. So I want to talk about the cars. Okay. And number one. <laughs> and number two. The new go. The new cars we just got today. Yeah. <laughs> and, and number two, innovation and technology. Mm-hmm. When you talk about technology, people don't think about utilizing that appropriately to aid and be able to expand and particularly in very vulnerable communities. I'd like you to talk about the platform that you've been working on that we're gonna be using here.
2: Yeah, so technology all over the world has been um, a incredible tool for leapfrogging um, some of the deficits in uh, low-income or marginalized communities all over the world, um, uh, whether it be jumping over landlines to uh, broadband systems in, in Africa, um, any number of other examples. And so we're no different here. Um, we believe that if you can... Uh, um, develop a certain level of trust with the community that um, being able to introduce um, technology that is driven by them and not us just kind of technology assisting them, but actually doing things that allow them to enter their own information, own their own information, which is another shortcoming of, of uh, technology is it's all about b- collecting your, your data and selling it to the next person to mm-hmm. make your next million. Uh, but, but that's not the goal here. The goal here is for you to actually borrow or partner um, in the use of their data, and, and they always retain the ownership of it. But the platform you, you're talking about on the Genesis operating system is about the ability to longitudinally track the social determinants of health or the social, cultural, and economic uh, factors in people's lives um, and see how that is either supporting or um, inhibiting their ability to achieve their health goals. And so, to the extent that we are able to um, educate them while simultaneously having them play a, a large part in entering that information, uh, is where we'll gain real success. It's where we'll be able to help even more um, households and families as a result of them helping and engaging us in this process of trying to help. And then, as time moves forward, who knows, you know, maybe we can become we can create a phenomenon where the, the consumer becomes the provider, right? Where they can begin to help their, their mm-hmm. neighbor or help uh, a medical student to learn a particular uh, topic that, you know, um, are related to the social terms of health. And so there's just this tremendous um, opportunity when you use technology in a responsible and um, ethical, ethical way. way. Yeah, there you go, right? There's <laughs> a for, for for Dr. Gillis, right? And uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh,
0: along with that, uh, my profession, and particularly my generation, perhaps the generation that uh, followed me, are very fearful of analytics and medicine. And so by introducing the student to analytics at the very beginning and how mm-hmm. it can optimize the care of a patient, means we also have to train the students differently. No longer is it that it all has to be in your mind to make a diagnosis. Now you're going to have evidence-based studies. Now you're gonna have algorithms and you have to train a physician to be able to differentiate if somebody is an outlier from those algorithms. How to communicate, because all this information is gonna be right there on the screen. To communicate that to your patient, to be able to appropriately treat that patient and do it together with the patient. By the same token,
2: we gotta get physicians to start listening better. Yeah, but also there has to be um, their ability to also apply their critical thinking to technology and innovation also, right? Yeah, and, 100%. and be very very shrewd in their ethical consideration of the technologies that, that, that are coming online. If individuals are not, if, if they're using an algorithm that's already biased, um, if you, you're, doing, you're using, um, uh, or if individuals are opening up uh, access to data that is already um, biased against one group over another, uh, then the students, if they just kind of lock-follow uh, the, uh, the, the outcomes or the, the recommendations posed by that algorithm, then we, we end up with the same system that we currently that have, but even worse. Yeah, it becomes indoctrinated even further and we call it science. So now we have a, we have a risk of, of making bias and, and racism and discrimination scientific.
1: Mm-hmm. Which it has.
2: Which it has which is a true but
0: very sad comment and there you have it from our senior executive dean for community health innovations dr luther brewster by the way if anybody has questions you could put them in the chat room and just list the questions and at the end of the show we'll be answering these questions you had mentioned ethics i think (laughs) ethics is the core of what we do in something very very important our Senior Executive Dean for Faculty uh, Affairs and Learning Innovations is a philosopher, a bioethicist, and an award-winning medical educator. She's ant- internationally recognized. She's actually international. She came from Canada. I was waiting <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> it's a foreign country. I was like, I wanted to see how to. long. <laughs> the, uh, who was actually at the uh, University of Nevada, Reno, prior to coming to our institution in South Florida and then coming back here. She is uh, <clears throat> she's a director of the USA Working Group and director of the International Academic Affairs for the Cambridge Consortium of, for Bioethics Education. She is the co-founder of the Ethics and Humanities uh, Education in the Health Profession, affinity group at the American Society of Bioethics and Humanities, which she, has also, which she co-shared from 2013 to 2020. She's a Macy Harvard scholar, she served for three years on the steering committee for the AAMC, that's the American Association of Medical Colleges Group on Women in Medicine and Science. And it is with great pride that I introduce somebody that is not only an incredible educator, but having put together hackathons and studio design teaching because as you listen to what we're saying, the world out there is a lot more complex than the disease of an organ. And unless we can understand and put all these things together, we're not gonna produce a future future workforce we need to improve the health of this nation. The, uh, with that, I have great pride in introducing Dr. Marion Gillis.
3: Thank you, Dr. Joe. (laughs) Um, So I have a number of hats and I'm first gonna talk to you about what we're doing in my office for faculty development. Because as we're talking about having a brand new approach to medical education, as you've been learning about, and we're trying to recruit first gen. Um, we have, and we're a community embedded medical school. We're gonna have to rely on on, on clinical educators who have not been trained in this new way.
0: And then <laughs> uh, what she's saying is very few doctors have been trained in how to teach.
3: Well, there's that, how to teach, but how to teach
0: Properly. How we teach.
3: Yes. Right? So, uh, <laughs> or what we want the, to the, have the, taught. The old saying um, in medicine was, see
0: one, do one, teach one.
3: No, but, but one of the, th- so I, when, I, when, I, when I speak about what it is that I do and why something like faculty affairs is at the level of the development of a new medical school like this is because unless you prepare the educators in this way, they're, not, they're just gonna be perpetuating everything and they're gonna be confused. And so we're gonna have things in the classroom and then they're gonna be in clinic and not understand, you know, what's going on. So we're gonna be uh, relying on a lot of educators and, like physician educators in our community. And uh, my job is to uh, help them understand things like social determinants of health, like understand um, the kinds of things that we're gonna be doing, what household centered care is. Um, and one of the reasons why it's exciting to be at Roseman is because Roseman University of Health Sciences um, cares about innovative education. And so, of the things that my office is going to do, is to prepare our, all of our faculty um, with the Roseman Six Point Mastery Learning Model. We're also going to get our faculty to be what we're calling Genesis ready, so that when we do Genesis in community, our faculty are going to be prepared for it. Um, and that's very exciting thing so the first thing my office is doing is that we're putting together a clinical faculty newsletter which is going to address educator development per se so just basics in education you know like how to develop a curriculum how to give feedback but we're also going to be including social justice topics like so for example we've got lots of information on how, um, let's say, recommendation letters for uh, students going into graduate school or health professions education are written and the bias that's included with that. So we're going to give how-to's on how not to do that, right? So to have respectful, fair letters so that these students have the same chance as any, you know, anybody else to, to get into these professions. So we're gonna be developing clinical faculty with regard to education, with regard to social justice issues and to prepare them for our innovative curriculum.
0: And talking about social justice, we talked about the pathway of bringing students in, but a pathway doesn't just stop when you get to medical school. It continues afterwards. And you have plans for that also, don't you?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> one of the other things, because at our previous institution, we were so successful in what we did, we have a number of our former graduates who are now just starting careers in, in medicine themselves, and they're all over the country and they're asking what we're doing because they've been following us because they were you know, introduced to us and they believed in us and now they're out in the world and they've said anything we can do. So we've decided that we're going to start a fellowship program to train them to be educators. And so by the time they're finished that, they can be mentors to our new students. Excellent. And they will educate the way we want. Well, the way, (laughs) the (laughs) best way, the best way, the Roseman way. We're going to have a new indoctrination. The Roseman way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, And the beauty of all of this being at Roseman is when you are out there, and you're meeting a child that perhaps wants to be a physician, and they're first generation college, we're giving them options. Mm-hmm. They can go to dental school, they can go to medical school, they can go to pharmacy school, they can go to nursing school or graduate nursing that's
3: school. That's what's exciting about this because we, when we're going to be doing interprofessional education, you know, in the programs themselves, that's a mirror of what the real world is like.
0: It's 100%. well thank you very much you know to put all these together we have our senior executive Dean for academic and student affairs Uh, it is with great pride that I introduce a another (laughs) foreign-born this this one from uh, Germany and also uh, a first-generation college what is so impressive uh, about Karen Esposito first of all this is the only medical school in the country where you have a Cuban named Greer and a German (laughs) named Esposito, but uh, Karen has an MD, a PhD, she was Phi Beta Kappa as an undergraduate, AOA, which is a similar honor society in medical school. She's one of the most accomplished academicians and administrators I have met. Her intellect as well as her passion and besides all that, she's also a very accomplished classical musician. And, and I'm not going to mention that you climbed the opposite of your dad.
4: <laughs> I
0: didn't think you were
1: going you we to. We,
4: we had a bet for that. <laughs> I, I
0: didn't. I said I'm not going to. He's, he's not going to so say it. I'm not going to mention
1: it at all. Perfect.
0: Prior to her coming here to Rosemond, she was with us in South Florida where she was the Executive Associate Dean for Student Affairs, a Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health, Associate Dean for Curriculum and Medical Education, and the Associate Dean for Academic Affairs for Women in Medicine and in Science. <clears throat> as well as all that, she put together and launched the very first psychiatric program at an FQHC that's primarily outpatient to really deal with the problems that are occurring there. The very first and one of the most successful right now. She had, prior to coming to FIU, she was uh, a professor at the University of Miami and she was also at Jackson uh, Health System, which is one of the largest health systems and the largest public health systems in this country, where she was the Associate Chief for Medical uh, Officer for the Mental Health and Chief of Service for Ambulatory Service and Correction Health at Jackson Health System, covering over 200 facilities and uh, pr- uh, p- uh, in primary care clinics within the Jackson system. Karen comes in with deep passion, with quite an opinion.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think
3: that's probably true of everybody. That's, that's, it is everybody I, here I I I, She's not the only uh, one. Well, <laughs> it's kind of, there's a theme here. I think there is. I think you're a brave man. <laughs>
0: Oh, I'm a liver specialist, too, which doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> but it is with great pride that Karen, who is leading our whole curriculum, as well as what the importance is of taking care of the students and the wellness when we're there. What are your plans for Growersman?
4: Well, wow, thanks, Joe. And, and to all of my colleagues, right, who are all opinionated, don't. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I think that as I'm sitting here listening to everybody, um, you know, one of the most wonderful things about coming out here to do this with this group of people is, is how mission-driven we all are and how we are all on the same page. And as we're doing our planning and as we are you know discussing various programs and various launches, um, yes, we don't always have the same opinion, but, but we know we're all doing it for the same reason, right? Which is to benefit our patients, to benefit the community, to educate our medical students in the best possible way. Um, the bad news I have for you guys is that medical school is four years long. It's still four years long. <laughs> <laughs> so we still have to do all this new stuff in four years. Um, and there's a, it's it's an interesting challenge in putting together a curriculum that you want to have novel elements. And yet, of course, the, the main, main goal is to provide excellent physicians who are well trained to, to provide great cl- clinical care, who are ready to go into any residency program in the country, whether they're going to be family physicians or psychiatrists or liver specialists or surgeons or or ophthalmologists or whatever whatever they want to be. Um, So one of the ways that that we're doing this is to really uh, work on developing a highly integrated curriculum. We already have a fabulous uh, curriculum planning committee going with representation from the other Roseman schools, from dental, from nursing, from pharmacy, with some wonderful clinicians from the community who um, have some academic backgrounds and who are, who are participating with their input and ideas as well. Um, so how are we gonna integrate all this? Because we have to teach biochemistry. Sorry, we have to teach biochemistry. We have to teach all the medical specialties, expose the students to, to obstetrics and gynecology, to pediatrics, to internal medicine, et cetera. Um, the, the great opportunity that a program like Genesis gives us or, or, or a model like Genesis for providing care to the community, and it allows us to integrate our students and really give them a longitudinal um, view of patient care which is not an experience that a lot of medical students get. Um, There's there's a lot of rotating in medical school. You spend six weeks here, four weeks there, et cetera. And that's critical for them to to get exposed to everything and learn everything. But the ability to work with a household and really learn early on um, what our patients are dealing with right? It's, it's not that simple. You go to a doctor uh, or, or you, you as a physician, you have a patient come to you, you make a plan, you write a prescription. And um, if you don't know how difficult it's going to be for that person to really implement that care plan, then you're not really providing patient-centered care. You're not really using shared decision-making and all of these other sort of buzzwords that we have around, you know, really aligning with the patient and making a treatment plan. When our students go into the homes in in and in interprofessional teams is a wonderful way to 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 do that. Um, they can really see what our patients are dealing with.
0: And also by the fact, just yep. by socioeconomic levels, even Absolutely. if you have different socioeconomic levels with the same disease, it's very very Absolutely. different. Absolutely. The households we're going to go in a diabetic there is not the same as a diabetic that's the CEO of a company.
4: That's correct, right? That being said, everybody has. Uh, impacts on their healthcare and things that they're dealing with, particularly when you get into mental health issues or substance use issues. And so really getting that perspective, one of the neat things that we wanna have the opportunity to do here as well is to have our students manage um, groups of households as teams so that they're really getting a team management concept at the same time as a practice. Like how do you actually manage a practice? How do you look at data, right? How do we actually see? um, How do we see how things are progressing? The other sort of half of my job, which is in student affairs, is also to pay attention to the well-being of our learners. Um, There is a lot of burnout in the medical profession. There, Lou was talking about. You know, people come in very. uh, idealistic. 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 Thank you very much. See, I, 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 that's perfect. Thank you. These <laughs> people come in very idealistic. They've written all these wonderful um, um, statements per- on their admissions profiles, yeah. personal statements about how they want to be a doctor and they want to help people, and and sometimes that idealism does get uh, does get impacted through. Um, Medical school, residency, future practice, and some of that is, is you know, this this uh, struggle of of how a doctor is positioned in taking care of patients, and so paying attention to students' wellness, really having a student-oriented approach to the curriculum, so that we understand their experience and and provide them with the support that they need to get through. It's a difficult course of study. It's it's not easy.
0: But, um, but that, that's more of an American phenomena with the students. And one of the things that we see in this country is after the third year of medical school, empathy drops off.
4: There are some data that support that, yes.
0: And in, uh, at least in the Journal of Oncology, uh, it was uh, 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 not an old, old study, but not a recent study where it showed that patients only perceived empathy in one in every five visits. And so one of the things that we saw at our prior institution that we're seeing here is by embedding students in the community. You change that mm-hmm. power differential. No longer are they coming to the ivory tower, you're going into their home. This increases their empathy and this increases their humility, which I think is something really, really important. And it makes them better understanding. And as Karen pointed out, no other medical school is showing them a longitudinal four years of following a patient or a household an and seeing all those interactions and all the different things that happen in lives that they aren't familiar with, mm-hmm. in worlds that they're not familiar with. The... Uh, the 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 other thing, Karen, is as we 're putting this together mm-hmm. you 've already gotten us on some AMA uh, committees yes as an, uh, as a medical school that hasn 't even opened yet
4: mm-hmm. yeah, so the American Medical Association a number of years back um, created an initiative called Accelerating Change in Medical Education. And at our prior institution, we were one of the consortium schools. It's about 37 schools. And one of the things that I wanted to do when coming here was stay a part of the evolving conversation of what are the best practices in medical education? What are people thinking? What are other schools sometimes struggling to do? Because it's, it's very hard sometimes to change a curriculum. You might have some really great ideas, but, but changing something is, is difficult. And I want to benefit from the best ideas of our colleagues, um, you know, in designing a curriculum. And so actually, Dr. Gillis and I were just on a, on a call this afternoon about student wellness. And earlier this week, um, I was in a two-day workshop on health system science curriculum. And so I really appreciate them allowing us to, uh, to take apart part uh, and, and, you know, understand that, that as a developing school, we may be able to implement some things um, that, that are on everybody's mind as, you know, this is something that we really need to do um, so I appreciate being part of that conversation.
0: Well, I mean, I think collectively, the reputation yep. of, of this group, of each individual as well as collectively has opened many doors for us w- and things that have never been done. One mm-hmm. of them is your representation with the AMA. Mm-hmm. The other one is the uh, Arnold P. Gold Foundation, mm-hmm. which has the Gold Humanism Award. Well, schools are not allowed to enter into that until they've graduated their first class they've already allowed us that once we start with our first class, we can begin that process. Which is something that, Marin, you really yeah. championed. Mm-hmm. And you took it through the roof. And guess what, you're doing that again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those, another those, hat.
3: Another hat, but another that's, hat. that's um, a lot that's of fabulous. people might know or have heard of the White Coat Ceremony. Yes. And it was the Arnold P. Goh Foundation who brought that back and has also started it in nursing now,
0: too. That's exactly right, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. So, you know, the, What you're seeing here is representation at an international, national level that really wanna be able to do something really spectacular. Las Vegas is a wonderful community, a community that we are a part of. We are not just embedded in the community, we wanna be dependent on the community. We wanna make our community healthier. We wanna produce the physicians, the nurses, the dentists, the pharmacists that come from here, that stay here, that see this as a future. And uh, to say we're excited is not, it's not an easy thing. So now you have us and a few other people, and who herds these cats? <laughs> 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 who tries and control all of this?
3: Cha-ching! <laughs> cha <Purse> strings.
0: Well, <laughs> we have Christina Conley, who has been just unbelievable. Interestingly, She's from Florida too. But that she came out here like 11, 12 years ago. Uh, in, expect,
2: got, in anticipation of us. Exactly. Oh, Prepa- to prepare. The waters, guys. <laughs> it's she, dry here. She's our senior
0: executive dean for finance and uh, administration. So, anybody administratively, anything financial, she runs. But she doesn't just run the medical school, she's also got Genesis, she's also got Roseman Medical Group. We didn't even talk about Empower. is a new uh, service that we're offering run by and designed by Adrian uh, Peterson, and, Andrea Peterson. And, and uh, what it does, and once again, being socially accountable, it's a program to offer services for women that are pregnant with an addiction. And not only that, following up with the newborn. So as you can see, we're already in the community with both the pathway, we'll be at the beginning of the year with uh, Genesis, and with Empower. So you have all these different pots of money that's come from all over the place, administrators. We are all the way from South Jordan to Las Vegas, and that's (laughs) under her control. And uh, Christina, first of all, it's been a pleasure working with you, and you have done a spectacular job. And by the way, she's got the two (laughs) cutest girls in the world. One of who we turned on to oatmeal cookies. <laughs>
5: okay. I've been baking them ever since. <laughs>
0: so, because
2: that's what you want—you know, a child with more sugar. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right.
0: And uh, so, Christina.
1: Joe.
0: How do you see us in the future, and how do you see us now? Rich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a
1: lot of money, a lot of zeros. Yeah.
0: She having said that, those that are listening. We are going to need money for scholarships and to start the school, so please feel free to send money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Enter it in the chat. Enter it in the chat. in the chat. <laughs> Cash App, all of that. Pleasures in the chat.
5: You know, I, sitting here, uh, what I'm honored, and I kind of think back to you know a couple years ago when you came out and did the presentation. At the breakthrough building on social determinants of health, and I remember sitting there and like, wow, this 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 is pretty this is pretty cool, right? And and you know, next thing you know, I hear that you know the new dean's hired, and I was like, oh wow, that's that's you know, I'm excited. Then I hear these, these people are following him out here. <laughs> I've never like, met them. <laughs> <be> those three, <laughs> right? people? Like, it was like they haven't this yet <laughs> you know, like, okay wow okay this Joe guy must be you know well, no uh, I,
0: I promised them beachfront God. I didn't say there'd be a no notion water. I said okay. there'd be beachfront Lots of sand,
5: you know and, and so I'm sitting back thinking to myself like wow okay this I'm, I'm excited and now you know a year in I, I can see why they followed um, and why you guys are out here and I mean to be able to sit on the couches and in the offices with you guys and support and help all the programs that are going on. I mean, I think it's fantastic. I think the community needs it. Um, it's, you know, it, it's been a fantastic year. Um, in the future, I'm gonna need more staff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you are. are. You are. Yes, you are. We yes, are.
4: are just getting started. <laughs> we warned we you. We That's
5: right.
0: Absolutely. You will need more Absolutely. staff. But that is true. Th- the importance <laughs> of Christina's leadership, administratively, financially, and what we do, is the core of what we do. I have no background in finances. As a matter of fact, I have two children, so I have no finances. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the reality is, without Christina doing what she's doing, we can't create new things here. And by the way, she's also involved in the creation of these things, as her opinion oh. is so highly uh, respected. But uh, you are the backbone of any type of organization that works. And I had no problem deferring all that to you very simply because of your talent.
5: Well, I appreciate
0: that. And, and you know.
5: it's a lot to live up to. What? <laughs> it is a ju- lot to live great. up to. <laughs> there, we have a high bar. We have a high bar. We have a high bar. okay.
0: Well, you guys, we're coming towards an hour already. Okay. Who knew? Who, who would have known? That's why our days go So what so I'd like to do now is We'll stay in conversation, but if anybody has questions in the chat room, um, who's gonna be reading the questions? Shayla, you are, okay, perfect. Do you have any questions? Make one up. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our football team is still undefeated.
1: That's true.
2: But well, so, so um, we introduced every, you introduced everybody, but nobody introduced you. Oh, so, oh all right. So we each get to give we get, one we point, each pick one thing. Right? We get one point, like right? It. So, so mine is, you know, shamelessly, I will begin. I'll try to keep it to one run on sentence point. Um, Joe, yes, is the reason we came out here. Um, and I think we could all say, you know, uh, Joe is probably one of the most um, uh, um, straightforward, straight shooter, honest individuals you're gonna meet. Um, uh, he's just not gonna be swayed off of his point. If he believes in something, he believes in it till the end. And, um, and that, that is probably one of the reasons why you, it's so easy to have faith in him. Um, he uh, sadly went to the University of Florida. That, that <laughs> happens, that happens, that happens. You know, We can't hold that against him at all. Um, but he survived it, uh, and he was smart enough to find somebody from the University of Georgia to put himself close to, um, to redeem himself. And and he's admitted that. And I have a, a document that I can send to the University of Florida in proof of that. <laughs> um, but but that that um, that would be my thing. I just think that you know um, that's the, one of the reasons why. Okay. Well, thank you, Lou. And whoa, whoa, whoa! No, 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 no. Don't get
0: no, no, no,
3: no. <laughs> So Dr. Married. Gillis, <laughs> uh, I think that you have the most um, incredible sense of integrity. I think that you uh, say what you you mean what you say, and I trust you. Thank you. And I am so honored that you invited me to come out with this team.
0: Well, this team wouldn't have been complete without you.
3: Well, thank you very much. So I'm powerful. Yes, I know.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> there's I, a can but, but I can feel it. There's a but. It. <laughs> but.
1: Emanates. Like, you are the bomb.com. Like, so all, all jokes aside, you know, there's not many people I will follow blindly out west. To a place the best. where I never even thought that I would imagine I would end up. But I believed in your vision. I believed in what you wanted to see happen i believed that we as a team i came because of you but i also came because of my colleagues because you picked the -hmm. brightest and the best (laughs) (laughs)
5: because
1: that's what we are i what did i tell you you have to claim it so i i believe in you as a person as a leader so that is why i came and I thought we were telling good things like, like the papal orders and the MacArthur Genius Awards. We're not doing that? Well, there's there's
2: three, there's three people who have both a MacArthur Genius Award and a Presidential Medal of Freedom. And Joe is one of them. Joe is one of them. But Joe called me one day and told me that that is not true. Here's another one? No, there's only two. Because oh. he bumped Ooh. off one of them. <laughs> and so I think this time next year, <laughs> mysteriously it there will only be one. Oh okay. <laughs> I
3: think I'm gonna take that integrity <laughs> <Like a>
2: question. <laughs> he did it in a highly ethical way. Okay. That's right.
3: There was no suffering? Yes. I'm was.
4: passing the torch, Dr. Estezito. All right, well, you um, guys have covered a lot, but I would like to add um, how inspirational I've seen. Uh, that you are for our students and for learners right because um, that that spark that we're talking about that sends people into medicine then and, and that wants to that that makes them want to do the right thing for their patients um, is something that you've never lost and I hear it in how you talk about your patients now so um, I, I think it's that's a that's a wonderful thing um, you understand the importance of teaching communication skills um, of of really teaching our students um, what they need to do to interact with a patient in a respectful and uh, way, and an honest way. And so um, that's a great example to set for the school.
5: hmm you have really good coffee in your office. He does <laughs> he really good I forgot about that. He does have yeah, really good not coffee. A good yeah. one. You should have started with her. It's a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to end this one, but <laughs> 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 I
2: think you
1: that's did well. I think that's, a one. One. that's the
2: best that's one. A, that's yeah. a good one. We followed yeah. him for the
0: coffee. That's right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and there's a second wave too. Yes. yes. Folks came on out coming out for you. There's
4: a second wave.
0: As you can see, you have one of the most passionate, intellectual, hardworking mission-driven educators that this world has ever seen. It is a great honor of mine to be considered a colleague of theirs. And what we wanna do here is really make a difference. Make a difference in improving the health of the community, making a difference in increasing the number of healthcare providers here, diversifying what we're doing. And we want people to come to Las Vegas to see how this is done. We want this to spread all over the world. We need to make our country healthier. We need to make mm-hmm. our communities healthier. We need to address the real problems that are there. Mm-hmm. This is not about politics. This is about human beings. This is about families. Mm-hmm. This is about doing what is right. And we as physicians always advocating for our patients. Um, this is what you get.
5: <laughs> what you see is what and you what, what you see is what you
0: get, and we're really excited to be here. And if there's no questions...
3: You gotta go to work. Do
2: you have any questions? We got work to do. Do we?
3: Well,
2: I have one. So so, um, maybe everybody, just if you have something coming up, oh yes, a way for for people at Roseman to get involved in what you're doing, maybe we just real quickly say that um, so that the people who are viewing it know how they can get involved. There's a lot, we told them a lot of exciting things this, this evening, but maybe they want to get involved in. So how could they get involved? Well, in
0: the I, I, the one story. thing I'd like to talk about is the contest we're going to have for the wrapping of the cars.
2: Yeah. So, so okay. So I'll lead it yeah. off then. All right. So, <laughs> uh, so we uh, um, are ordering electric vehicles for Genesis and uh, those vehicles will be wrapped with uh, um, the art of local artists um, and they will engage in a art competition and we're calling the art, um, Apple Art Competition. And uh, we call it Apple Art Competition because uh, we were talking in the office one day about um, idealism. And uh, the art competition is rooted in um, putting together a piece of art that um, demonstrates the world the way you wish it were in a particular social justice issue. And so homelessness, how would you see homelessness um, addressed in the future? What does that look like? from a artistic point of view. And so um, Apple, we figured, you know, we would offer sort of an example of it. So uh, when we first got here, I wanted to give people ice cream. I don't know if y'all remember that, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to give people ice cream when we did outreach events. Which was not supported by the Which was not very supported. And (laughs) the reason, but the reason was was that you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, we should be giving them healthy food or whatever. But there's, you, you know, there's a, there's a progression. You can't just get, that, the, can't that's, the yeah, that's the ideal thing, right? <laughs> Is to give them apples, right? But in actuality, they want ice cream right now. And so what we, so we have this image of a, a apple on top of an ice cream cone. And that's, that's sort of the mascot of this art competition so that people understand sort of how, how you know, how we can marry the practical with the ideal uh, to get to where we want to get to. So that, that competition uh, is coming up and, and uh, we're really excited about what that's going to look like. It's a partnership with the city of Las Vegas uh, Department of Cultural Affairs.
0: Very, scary, <laughs> <of course. laughs> um, I think
3: that well, there's a number of things and, and, and I was gonna mention that when you were talking about STEAM mm-hmm. and not STEM which just warmed my heart um, and uh, uh, because the arts in themselves are just good things they help us make meaning of things and in student wellness for example um, reflective writing is very helpful expressing what's going on to make it manifest is a very important thing, but it's also good for other things, mm-hmm. right? It, um, so it could be uh, something that people who are trained in the arts or have artistic backgrounds. We say that um, this is where you know you're creative. You can think outside of the box. Like instead of doing something the way it's always been done, like to have free reign to be able to do something, and through those kinds of avenues, that's how innovation can take place Mm -hmm. right so that it has a really important part like to think creatively in any field Mm -hmm. right but with with the stem like without the A you know it's it's like you're just it's rote you know and and you're not you can solve problems but not solve problems in given ways as opposed Mm -hmm. to making new ways or or, or even saying that's really not the problem what the problem really is is something else so
0: and with this background and the patient, papers on reflection and, and narratives, it becomes vitally important. Because in the future workforce, one of the things that we want to do are also our future change agents. And if a professional or anybody cannot stand up and tell a story, you cannot make change. And not only that, when you tell stories, it also brings a divided nation together. It lets people talk and discuss.
3: You see people's humanity. right or from their point of view from because like, mm-hmm. the thing about the humanities versus the sciences let's say, is one of the things that we are as humanists, is, and, and you know in gold humanism as well, when gold humanism got their new slogan the way I describe, it's, it's a humanity is at the heart of healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or the human even at the heart of healthcare and I say it's the radical idea that not just patients, but providers are human beings, you know, and we've noticed with what's been going on for the past, what is it now, 18 months, mm-hmm. this, you know, around the world that the um, the humanity of the providers has been you know stretched to its limits and, and that we've the terrible stories that one hears, and I'm not saying art's going to solve that, that but it helps. can get one through. And mm-hmm. also we can the, the creativity that that kind of uh, mindset allows for might be able to find new ways of dealing with systems and not just having the same old system mm-hmm.
0: You're an artist, a musician.
3: A little bit. Uh, <laughs> extremely, I, wa- uh, I
0: was. <laughs> <laughs> and how How important was that in your career?
4: Oh, it was very important in my career. Um, and I think that um, cert- certainly during the time that I was in medical school and residency, it was really important for me to, to have rehearsals, to be uh, performing, um, that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Well, some of us were
0: were just getting an M.D., she was getting an M.D., a Ph.D., and being a (laughs) classical musician. I used to listen to a lot of rock and roll, (laughs) (laughs) period. I I also used to listen to to a lot of (laughs) rock (laughs) and roll. Listening is your instrument. Uh, We had a band when I was 13, 14 years old, but it didn't go anywhere.
3: Oh, 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 (laughs) an espresso for anybody who could name that band.
4: Oh. Oh, see that's a that's another trivia question that you the know.
2: That's trivia right there. Joe got trivia. And and I, I, and, I, and, and, yes, and okay. who else was in the band?
3: Um, um famous Cuban actor uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh just give us the name Steve of the band. Bauer. From give Scarface. us the name of the band. From what well, was also in um, the series uh, what was that? It was a Showtime series. Sopranos. No no, no. no no no.
2: Uh the the one with uh, you used to watch it all the time. The um, the, the, uh, okay, serial killer, the, the serial killer. The serial killer guy. No,
3: no, no, no. It's a different one. But it's uh, yeah. um, no, no. Uh, the, it's the sportsman.
0: The sportsman. The
3: sportsman. There you guys. Go. It was 1968.
1: Okay. <laughs> 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 I wasn't born. No, that, I'm just playing.
0: That was it. And with that, if there's no questions, I'd like to tell everybody thank uh, thank you for offering us this opportunity to be here. Not just this evening, I mean in Las Vegas. (laughs) what we're doing. But from Studio A in Las Vegas, this is Cuba Pete, no laughing matter, saying thank you. Let's make Las Vegas healthier.
3: When I play the maracas I go chick chicky boom chick chicky boom